You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. In 19, August of 1965, a seminarian named Jonathan Daniels and a group of civil rights activists went down to Lowndes County, Alabama to protest. They were arrested and thrown in jail. And after six days, four of the protesters were walking down the sidewalk to get a cold drink at Varner's cash store when an unpaid sheriff's deputy confronted them with a shotgun. And as he raised the shotgun to shoot Ruby Sales, Jonathan Daniels stepped in front of the shotgun blast and died instantly. The protesters started to run, and another protester, a Catholic priest, was shot in the lower back. Now, as if this story wasn't bad enough, the deputy claimed self-defense, even though none of the protesters were armed, and by an all-white, all-male jury, he was acquitted on all charges. Now, stories like this cause us to feel anger, fear, and despair. Perhaps the darkest story of 2021 that we've all observed is the Taliban seizing Afghanistan. We've heard stories of their cruelty and injustice and atrocities, and yet in what felt like the snap of a finger, they were in control of Afghanistan. Moments like this cause such sorrow and trembling and fear because at the existential level, they cause us to question whether evil is triumphing over good and whether the devil is prevailing over God. Now, these aforementioned stories may feel somewhat removed, but this existential question of good versus evil hits us at everyday subtle levels. You're a student, and you studied really hard for a test, and there's that group that cheated on the test, and they bust the grading curb. They get A's, and you walk home with a C+. There's that sports team that's not playing by the rules. Everybody knows that they're recruiting illegally. And yet, at the end of the season, you watch them hoist up the championship trophy. Or you're an employee, and you've done a good job, you've worked hard, but it's your unethical, dishonest, gossipy coworker who gets the promotion, and now they're your boss. The frustration and anger that we feel in these moments is really operating at a higher level. It's a despair caused by that greater question of whether or not evil is triumphing over good and whether the devil is prevailing over God. Perhaps wickedness is in control, not the Lord. Well, in the book of Daniel, the Jews were wrestling with these existential questions of good versus evil. When we think about the book of Daniel, we tend to think about these fabulous, heroic stories of the fiery furnace and of the writing on the wall or Daniel in the lion's den. And perhaps no section of the Bible has better stories than Daniel 1 through 6. But very few of us make it beyond Daniel 6 because when we get to Daniel 7, it's completely different. It's apocalyptic prophecy. And there are stories of flying lions and flying leopards and beasts and a bear eating flesh. And it seems like two totally different books. So how do these two halves make one whole? Well, we're so accustomed to hearing these stories of Daniel from our childhood that we can lose sight of the traumatic circumstances that the Jews were living in. They had been conquered by a foreign nation, and they were exiled in Babylon. 
And they were now under the rule of the kind of people who would throw you in a fiery furnace to burn to death or feed you to hungry lions if you did not worship their pagan gods and you remained solely faithful to Yahweh. Daniel 7 through 12 is very similar to the book of Revelation. In fact, many of the images in the book of Revelation are similar to or are drawn from the book of Daniel. They are both apocalyptic prophecy. They both have terrifying images of beasts, and they have grand images of God on his throne and his glory. They both emphasize God's sovereign redemptive plan for eternity. So what is it that Daniel and Revelation have in common? John writes Revelation to persecuted Christians, many of whom were dying for their faith. They had received Christ as their Savior, and they were following him, and now their lives were being threatened. Well, in Daniel 7, we see three ways that God provides the hope to persevere when evil appears to be triumphing and when the devil seems to be prevailing. First, the truth about the depth of evil. Second, the truth about God's greatness. And third, the truth about God's plans for the world. When evil in the world overwhelms us, the Lord gives us reassurance through his victory in Christ. So first, the truth about the depth of evil. Now a quote popularized by the movie The Usual Suspects is the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he did not exist. This quote captures skepticism in Western society that there is a personal spiritual force of evil in the world. And as a result, People can minimize the presence of evil, or they can be completely caught off guard and surprised when they see wicked things in the world. The Lord is very clear in his word about just how wicked wickedness is. In Daniel 7, there are terrifying images of creatures that represent the spiritual forces of evil. There is a lion with eagle's wings. There is a bear that is eating flesh and bones. There is a leopard with four wings. And in verse 7, the prophet describes the fourth and most ferocious of all the beasts. This beast represents evil in its purest form. It has ten horns, not one or two that we're accustomed to seeing in an animal, but ten to represent just how powerful evil is. The ferocious teeth of this beast reflect the destructive nature of evil. That the vision comes at night exhibits that evil operates in darkness and in chaos. And finally, the human characteristics of the beast, its eyes of man and its mouth speaking great things, exhibits how the spiritual forces of evil work through humanity, through human institutions and kingdoms and individuals. And as hard as this is to accept, because of our sin, the spiritual forces of evil have accomplished their purposes through our own lives. God knows that we need to be sober and alert to the reality that there are spiritual forces of evil in the world and they are attacking our families and our marriages and our churches and our leaders and our own spiritual lives. Evil is far more powerful than us. It seeks to destroy. It delights in death. It functions to create chaos. And if this is where the narrative ends, then it leads us to a place where we are overwhelmed and filled with despair. If all we do 
is consume our lives with the doom of cable news and the madness of social media rather than the word of God, then slowly we start to believe that maybe evil is triumphing over good and maybe the devil does have the upper hand. That is a complete load of nonsense. Scripture is honest about evil, but it's also honest about the greatness and the superiority of God. And that takes us to our second point, the truth about the greatness of God. Now, in verse 9 and 10, the prophet contrasts the wickedness of the beast by providing a vision of God in heaven. He doesn't just say, well, God's good and God's sovereign and God's powerful. Instead, he opens up the curtain of heaven and gives us a vision of the Ancient of Days sitting upon his throne. Yes, the devil is powerful, but the Lord is the one sitting on the ultimate throne of dominion. He is adorned with a white robe, and he has pure white hair, which reflects his purity. Evil is corrupt and destructive, but the Lord God does all things with righteousness, holiness, and justice. Then it says that the books are open. This is an image that we also see in Revelation, which which indicates that God is the one in control of the unfolding of human history. It is God who is ordering the world, not the devil. When you read this passage, notice that the section about the beast are written in prose, while the section about the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days are both written in poetic verse, which reflects where where the Lord rules, there is peace and harmony. It is one thing to hear that God is good and mighty and sovereign and holy and control. It is another thing to receive a vision of the Lord sitting on the throne, ruling over the universe with justice. In this vision, we see the greatness and the superiority of God. For this reason, when we see evil in the world or when we experience spiritual attack in our own lives, we pray in the name of Jesus because at the name of Jesus, the spiritual forces of evil flee. Kenneth Kirk wrote, Christianity has come into the world with a double purpose, to offer men the vision of God and to call them to the pursuit of that vision. So as you struggle to believe that God really is control, imagine this. Imagine that you could be raised into heaven and that you could see God in all of his glory. Imagine that you could see God right now as the saints in heaven and those who you love who have gone before you as they see the Lord. If you could see God face to face, do you think you would be worried about the state of this world or the state of your life? And the answer is no, because when you see the greatness of God in its purest form, you would know that in the end, all is well. You would see the superiority of God over evil. And that is why in the most dire of circumstances, circumstances like those that the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are written to, when people are experiencing evil in its most intense form, God does not just say that I'm good. He shows us who he is. He shows us his glory and his rule from the throne of God. God does not just comfort us with the statement and the vision of his greatness. He also paints a picture of his ultimate plans for the future. That takes us to our third point, the truth about God's plans for the world. Now, I love to watch old Alabama football games. I have probably watched the 93 Sugar Bowl and the 1985 Iron Bowl over 50 times. 
I probably watch 20 or more old Alabama games on YouTube a year. And people say, that is so weird. Like, you, you're watching a game where you know what the outcome is going to be. And I say, that's the point. I know that we win the game. So I can watch the plays and the drama and the back and forth without any anxiety because I already know the outcome. Well, in apocalyptic prophecy like Daniel and Revelation, the authors use a device called recapitulation, where the same story is told over and over again in different forms. So in Revelation, the story of the first coming of Christ and the prophetic telling of the second coming of Christ is told in different forms multiple times. Well, here in Daniel, we see the telling of the ultimate story told in a prophetic way. Verse 10, a stream of fire flows out from before the throne of God, which indicates that God is coming to the earth. And in verse 11, following the signal of the coming of God, Daniel looks and he sees that the beast has been killed, his body destroyed and given over to be burned in fire. The Lord God has destroyed the beast and he has conquered evil. Well, not surprising to us, immediately after the mention of the defeat of the beast, a figure comes onto the scene, the Son of Man. This divine and human figure rides on a cloud of glory. And we know from our vantage point on this side of the cross that the Son of Man is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who kills the beast. And this defeat occurs on the cross when Jesus defeats sin, death, and the devil. Well, as we see in verse 12, the beast is preserved for a time. Evil still exists. It still seeks to harm and to destroy. But the power and the glory all belong to Jesus. Verse 14 says, The Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who has the power? Who has the glory? Who has the kingdom? Who has the dominion? It is not the devil. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power and the glory and the kingdom forever. And it is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that reveal who the devil really is. And that is a punk and a loser. And they reveal who Jesus Christ is. That is the triumphant king. Now I know it may be hard to believe this when evil seems to be so pervasive in your world or in your life. But I want to close you with this image. Think of the moment in all of history when it seemed like evil had defeated good and that the devil had overcome God. And that was the cross of Jesus Christ. But in that moment, the Lord God was atoning for your sins and he was redeeming your life. So when you see this image of Jesus on the cross and of the resurrected Christ, remember that Christ has prevailed. Christ is prevailing and that Christ will prevail on the last day. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.